0: Fun fact, did you know that humans are the only animals that enjoy spicy foods? There you go. Now you can look cool when you tell your friends something. I just wanted to start the podcast a little bit differently today. So there you go. Fun fact. Let me know if you want me to continue to do those. But hello and welcome back to today's episode of the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome. Super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back air hugs high fives however you want to celebrate today because i appreciate you so much and today whether you are new or returning you and i get to hang out with rob cosberg Rob is a three-time best-selling author and the founder of bestsellerpublishing.org. He's been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, a bunch of other abbreviations, <laughs> Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, as well as hundreds of other shows, podcasts, magazines, and articles. Rob's published promotes profit system has been used by thousands of authors in dozens of countries. He shows entrepreneurs how to become the go-to authority in their market by writing, launching, and profiting with a best-selling book. Since 2010, Rob has been the go-to teacher for coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs who want more authority, more exposure, and more clients. Rob works with clients who understand that the way to seven figures and beyond is via a best-selling book and the authority and celebrity that comes with it. In this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how Rob went from doing $100 million a year in real estate transactions to watching everything crash in 2008 and how he managed that tough time with his family and came out stronger in the end. Number two, why and how Rob and six of his friends moved across the country with their families last year to be in St. Augustine to all live near each other. And number three, Rob's proven process that he's helped over 1,000 authors use to publish, promote, and profit from their best-selling book. We dive into not only how to write the book more effectively, and it might not even require writing, fun fact, but how you can leverage that book to land speaking gigs, new leads, and more media. One last thing I want to do is give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Tommy M37, who left a review saying, really interesting guests, helpful, relevant business advice, inspiring stories. So thank you so much, Tommy M37, for leaving that incredible review. It really makes my day. And if you're listening to my voice right now and you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review, you can go to seven, that's the number seven, sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And millennials is spelled M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I. I-A-L-S, crushing that on the spelling bee. (laughs) So sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. If you wanna find out exactly how to leave a review and then if you choose to leave an honest review, I wanna give you a thank you gift that reveals exactly how I get incredible people like Rob on the show and how you can get the high-level connections that you need to grow your business. So without further ado, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Rob Cosberg. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the Seven Bigger Millennials podcast. Mister Rob Cosberg, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend.
1: Thank you, brother. Great to be with you. I'm looking forward to to having a talk with you.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a blast. And so I thought we'd start by kicking things off with the story that I think you know, it was pretty ugly at the time when you were going through it. But I think if I know correctly, it, it laid the foundation for the incredible work that you're doing today. So I would love to take everyone back to a little bit before April 2008. You're, you're in your real estate business doing over $100 yeah. million dollars a year in transactions. But, you know, as we all know, 2008 was not the best year to be in, in, in real estate. So would you mind painting the picture of what your lifestyle was like back then? What ended up happening to you and how that kind of laid the foundation to what you're doing now?
1: Great. You want to go right into the pain. Let's go right into it, (laughs) if that's okay with you. (laughs) Of course, of course it is. Um, You know, as you might imagine, my lifestyle was pretty great. I I had a business that was making a lot of money. Um, With that said, you know, money isn't everything, clearly, right? I mean, your, your podcast is about much more than money. Uh, and I was in a um, bit of a golden handcuffs situation with my business, in that it was making me all this money, but I really didn't love it, and I really didn't love what I was doing. With that said, you know, I mean, I had I had all the trappings of making all that money, and unfortunately, most of my investments were, were in real estate, so I had millions of dollars of real estate that I owned, and. You know, I owned a, you know, six figure exotic car, a couple of different ones, and, uh, you know, 8,000 square foot house uh, in an equestrian club and all that stuff, kids (laughs) in private school, you know, that I had to pay for, uh, you know, up until the time that uh, my business failed. And so it was a very, very, it was a scary and very painful time. I think, um, I think for me going through it, um, it was a time that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm generally a pretty confident person, but it was a time that my confidence really got rocked. You know, I was like, wow, am I going to be able to recover from this? And uh, that went on for, you know, uh, a good year, year and a half. So it was it was certainly an ugly time.
0: And then you, from
1: my understanding, I know you had talked to kind of like two separate
0: people, that people that you had respected on how do I get out of this, one of them being yeah. Dan, Dan Kennedy. Um, and they had kind of given you similar suggestions. And you're like, okay, if this is a pattern that's going on here, maybe I should listen to it. So would you mind maybe sharing that that insight that they gave you and how that kind of led yeah. to the new direction that you headed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have never dreamt at that time that I'd be doing what I do right now and really loving it and making even more money than I made at that time. But um, I was I was pivoting from real estate into financial services. And I had been in and out of real estate for a long time. And so I was known in that area for real estate and mortgages and and everything kind of revolving around that. We did local seminars, and um, so I'd spoken to Dan Kennedy, who's kind of the you know godfather of modern day marketing, and um, and another mentor, and uh, both of them, separate from each other, um, you know, gave me some advice that you know turned into amazing advice. I, I basically asked them, look, if you were in my position and you needed to start, uh, you know, from scratch uh, with a with a new company where you're really not known for that thing, what would you do? And um, both of them, independent from each other, said that they would write a book. And um, for whatever reason, you know, I'd never thought about writing a book before, but, you know, it rang true to me at that time. And this is, of course, in uh, early 2008. Honestly, it's even late 2007 because, you know, I saw the writing on the wall. And, um, you know, so I I started down that path. Now, I I made a lot of mistakes. I wrote a big check to a traditional ghostwriter, and that ended up, you know, being quite a, a mess and a failure, I ended up having to write it myself. It it you know cost me another year of of time to get it done. But when I finally did get it done, um, you know my business exploded um, in conjunction with like PR and, and advertising that I was doing with the book. And I went from you know zero again to over seven figures in about a thirteen month period, and then and then multi millions after that um, up until the time that I I sold that business. So. It was great advice. I'm so happy I followed it.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And and the whole book publishing thing has absolutely changed my life as well. It's funny because I know you worked with Kevin Harrington. Kevin's been on the show, and he should be before this episode. But I was in an auditorium where I saw Kevin speak when I was in college, and he recommended to write a book. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. And I ended up publishing one early on, and I just I love that you are giving this gift to so many people because yeah. I know there are so many people in this world that want to write books, but they just don't know how. So we are absolutely going to dive into some of your secret sauce for for publishing for those listening right now that want to do that. But before we get into that, there's kind of one more component that I wanted to dive into. And that's the fact that you know, you, by all, by all metrics, you were doing incredibly well. And you had a family, you, like you said, you had kids in private school. And I always like to, whenever I have entrepreneurs that go through a moment like this, I always want to ask the question. I feel like most of the time doesn't get asked. And that is like, how did you handle things with your family? Like your, your kids, obviously, you know, were used to things are going on and you, you know, you, you had this entire experience with your family. So what were those conversations like? And how did you manage those relationships as a, a, a unit when you were going through this thing, not just individually?
1: Yeah, I mean, good question. My kids were younger. uh, So, you know, my oldest was, you know, 11-ish, 12-ish at that time, uh, maybe a little bit older than that. And, um, you know, for the most part, their um, lives did not really radically change. We stayed in our home. Uh, We were able to do that. Um, You know, I mean, they stayed in their school. We were able to work out plans to, you know, you know basically pay longer term so all those things actually were i mean we were able to to find a way to make things work at the same time you know they could see the stress on mom and dad and and the challenges and the difficulties and so we just you know we were you know we would eat dinner together every single day i mean there were certain rituals that we had so that we would stay together and and close as a family and so we made sure to to keep those things Um, probably, uh, you know, some of the things that we did, um, you know, became, uh, some of our, our kids' favorite things. I mean, we started doing much less expensive holidays, uh, like camping and things like that, that, you know, they actually look at now as some of their, you know, their favorite memories. I'd much rather be in the Ritz, you know, in Cancun or something, but, uh, they actually wanted to cook hot dogs over the, over the fire, which, you know, ended up working out because that's what we could afford, so you know a lot of a lot of communication, at least as much as we thought we could on their level. and probably most importantly, i mean, i've I've been married a long time, and you know my wife and I were a good unified front. And though, you know, I think I think the vast majority of marriages disintegrate over financial concerns and issues. And so it certainly wasn't easy. I mean, we you know we had some real challenges, but um you know, we maintained that unified front, stayed close stayed honest with each other. And I think that really protected our kids.
0: And did your wife had a a separate career of her own that was kind of able to give you some padding or was it, was it pretty much that you guys were both all in on this business together and that you had to ride that, um, you know, without a separate income? Yeah,
1: Yeah, we were both all in on that. Um, My wife had had a career previously, but hadn't worked for a number of years. Um, You know, she was a stay-at-home mom and, you know, very involved. I mean, our kids played Every sport, and you know, I mean, baseball, lacrosse, football, basketball you name it. And so, she was super busy with all of those types of things. And, um, you know, it's hard work at home, right? So, uh, so she started doing some things to earn some money, home based type businesses, et cetera. And that was really, um, that was really vital. And, uh, you know, some of the things we look back on, you know, I mean, we lived in a very wealthy area. And I remember one, uh, you know, the first really difficult Christmas, uh, you know, we were taking art off the wall that we had paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for. And, you know, of course, you're selling it for 10 cents on the dollar. And, you know, I vowed uh, I'm going to be the buyer the next time this happens, not the seller, because you don't want to be the seller in that kind of market. But she would do things like she's super creative and, and a great chef. And so she would like make these you know really really um amazing gingerbread houses for our neighbors uh that they would pay 100 150 bucks for that like resembled their you know 10,000 square foot homes and things like that and i mean made thousands of dollars that you know would get us through christmas and you know i mean that looking back at that i mean those were those were fun uh times but at the moment, it didn't feel fun. If yeah. you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I love that, and that's uh, I love the gingerbread story. <laughs> that's, yeah. so, that's so cute. Yeah. That's so cool. And I, like, like, and that's what I love so much talking to entrepreneurs like you is like you look at it as such a fond memory. And that's that having that perspective now for anyone listening yeah. to this right now is that even if you're going through a shitstorm, <laughs> you yeah. know, if you come through the other end, you can look at it as some of the most fond memories. And the, even though it's it's not fun at the time, so thank you so much for sharing that. Being willing to yeah. to open up on that.
1: Um, You know, I, I don't want to go through it again, but it was the best thing that could have happened. Um, so you know, I mean, you you never want to go through it again. But the lessons that I learned, um, you know, the the confidence that I gained coming out of that, it was the best thing that could have happened for me as a person, for my wife as a as a human being. And um, you know, you'll hear that from entrepreneurs, I think, when they're being really honest with you know, um, cycling or going through difficulties or going through bankruptcy or any of those kinds of things. I mean, you know, if 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 you can bounce back, um, most of the time people look back at that as, you know, thank God that happened.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely, and I think the 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 thing that I heard underneath all those words was that you still maintained the relationships with your wife. You maintained the relationships with your kids, and in many ways, it was strengthening, even though it wasn't the the way that you would choose to normally strengthen them. But it yeah. strengthened them. So I'm going to stick with this theme of relationships for a little bit longer, yeah. and then and then we'll go into uh, some of the publish promote profit stuff. But uh, this is an insider tip that I got from our friend Kevin Thompson uh, 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 that actually introduced us. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned to me, actually, this was the context w- before he introduced us, Rob, is he said that there's this guy and he was he was talking about how six of his friends moved across the country to live by him. And it was it was really it was really incredible. And he was very blessed to see this. And that person was you. And that was how that you kind of came up in the conversation. Yeah. So I would, you know, to have people move across the country to be. With someone, I think that 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 stands—that's a huge testament to who you are as a person and the value that you place on relationships. Um, And so, I would love to maybe talk about this a little bit. Can you give us some more context? Like, was it a collective decision? Like, your friends all decided to move together. Just walk us through that because I think it's really powerful to surround ourselves really closely with the people that we love the most. So, we'd love to hear kind of your perspective and on that story and what happened there.
1: Yeah, uh, great question, Um, and I'm glad you're asking it. You know, I um, when I lived. I, i've lived all over uh, mainly in florida which is where i am now um, but for a number of years in california and especially during my time in california i built like some amazing lifelong relationships with people when we moved back to florida from california i found i found myself making more money than i ever had you know living in this amazing place having these amazing things having a great family but but my wife and I both feeling a tremendous, uh, hole, um, both from a spiritual and kind of relational, um, aspect. And so, you know, we were always like trying to figure out, uh, how we could with everything else that we had going on, right. When you're a business owner, especially in real estate, you know, you're, you're in an area, you're in a location, at least most people are. And, um, you know, I, I, I share that back piece of it because, you know, as I got older, I, I, I just realized like the value of that because, you know, I was living in, you know, a mansion and, you know, living my best life from the outside looking in. But from the inside, I had like this real like sadness. Uh, I'm a very relational person, I love my friends love my family. I mean, that to me is what real wealth and riches uh, is. And so, you know, as we were getting older, and our friends are a little older than us, you know, we started having these conversations, we ended up moving back to California. And uh, for that particular reason, and we started having conversations with uh, this group of friends of, you know, what are we going to do uh, when especially these older friends of ours um, decide to retire, and we all made a decision maybe five years ago we're gonna we're gonna all do it together and um you know, we all valued uh the relationships, both husband and wife, and that's so unusual, but um, again, from my perspective, it's like what life is really all about and so you know, we had this longer term plan, we we figured it would be Florida, because, you know, obviously, Florida is a lot better to retire to than California, cost of real estate, cost of living, state income taxes, all those kinds of things. And so um, a few years ago, uh, the girls made a trip out, the wives made a trip out to begin looking. And they did. And, uh, and they found an amazing place. Uh, we've lived all over Florida. I'm from Central Florida, but i had never really uh, considered St. Augustine, which is where we live now. It's actually the oldest city in America. It's a really cool place. And, um, you know, long story short, we were the first ones to pull the trigger, um, which is a funny story in and of itself, but cause I wasn't prepared, but my wife was like, we're doing this. And I'm like, holy crap. Uh, okay. So we pulled the trigger and, um, and, you know, Airbnb beat it for a time. And then when COVID hit, we were all like, why are we waiting?" Let's go. And so we literally moved uh, like one week after the shutdown in California, the, the first week of uh, last week of March, first week of April of last year. So now uh, our, the last couple comes, um, five couples are here now. The last couple comes uh, August 15th. Uh, so pretty freaking amazing.
0: So you're going you just you're just going to have is it, are you like all neighbors like you can all just like hang you just have this like gated community of the people that are closest to you is that how this thing works You know we don't
1: have a compound so no <laughs> um, you know we're we're uh, you know we're all kind of a little different in like uh, where we are in stages of our lives and our finances and so I, I always wanted to be on the water, and so we bought a you know a house right here on the water in downtown St. Augustine. So we like literally walk to dinner and and all that. We have um, you know our, uh, Kevin Hutto and his wife are a little younger than us, and they still have kids at home, and so they wanted to be in a you know, more of a community where there were kids around. So, you know, we joined a, a golf club. They live in that golf club community, we're within 15 minutes of each other. And a couple of us are within five. And so, you know, we have a routine like today is Tuesday. Um, everyone comes over my house, all the guys come over, we have cigars and I make old fashions and, and, uh, we solve the world's problems and we laugh and we, you know, joke with each other and crack on each other. And, uh, you know and then thursday and saturday is golf we we play golf every thursday and saturday and we're we're members of a boat club so wednesday we're going out on the boat together i mean it's it's nuts man it's really cool i love that <laughs> i love that so much i feel like i'm in an a i'm like i'm a
0: 25 year old and that's like that i just i love i would love that like that just sounds so cool to be able to spend that quality of time on a consistent basis and have those routines and rituals that you could just spend Amazing. with everyone. That's just, that's, that's super blessed. So congratulations. I just want to say that, that, just, that that's incredible. And I, yeah. I I know I kept saying one more, but one more, I'm just, I'm just going to keep chasing this There's one more topic.
1: <laughs> go I go for it. it. There's, this uh, is the best part, man. I mean, if you have money and don't have those other things, then then the money is worthless. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it, you know, life is about relationships, man.
0: Yeah, so for, for sure. So okay, one one other thing on this topic, and maybe I'll maybe I lied already, and maybe there's another thing anyways. But um, <laughs> another thing that Kevin said when he introduced the two of us, he says that you were you were formerly a pastor. Um, and and yeah. I know maybe this is some some people hate talking about this kind of stuff on podcasts, but I always like just opening up a little bit because I think. It's so yeah. important for us to hear different viewpoints, um, regardless of where you're coming from. So, I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about how your previous experience as a pastor has informed some of your philosophies on how you run your business right now, and maybe even in some of those relationships that you have with the ones that are closest to you.
1: Yeah, well, the the relationships are all from you know our time in the ministry and the and the people that we met and became friends with while we we're in the ministry you know the the short version is i i grew up pretty irreligious i actually am from a jewish background and um you know when i i experienced success you know pretty early in life i got my real estate license at 18 my dad owned a real estate company i bought my first house at 18 i had 3 homes by the time i was 21 and and i just started going down this path and just started feeling like wow life is like, is this all there is to it? And that's kind of a sad feeling for a 21 or 22-year-old, you know what I mean? Uh, I just graduated from college at 22, and I was getting ready to go to law school. And And I was like, do I really want to be a lawyer? Do I really want to do this? And, um, you know, I, I ended up uh, meeting uh, a buddy. I met my wife at the time, and we were dating, and and we were in love, which was cool. But I, I met a buddy that I became friends with, and he kind of opened my eyes to You know, uh, spiritual things, and so I I became a a Christian, which is a pretty radical change from a guy that, you know, uh, grew up Jewish and was pretty irreligious anyway. And um, you know, I'm you know, my whole philosophy uh, of life changed for me. It was you know, it really was uh, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Um, but everything changed for me at that point. I was like, no, 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 this is this is about much deeper things you know, my life is a mist. I'm only going to be here for a short time. I still like things, don't get me wrong. And, and, you know, I still am, am an ambitious person. But, um, so my wife and I were in the ministry for a number of years together. We did uh, resign from that, but we're still super active in our, uh, we do like a little house church group with, with this group of friends, right. With, you know, and, and others that have, have since joined us. But that's where the, the relationships were initially forged, um, that and believe it or not, on the golf course. And so, you know, um, one thing about golf is, um, you know, if you're going to spend four or five hours with somebody, it's probably somebody that you really like, or you'll probably never play with them again. And so we, <laughs> you know, we, we started spending lots of time together. We had all of these commonalities and we just became best buds and, and most of our wives uh, became best buds also
0: that's so cool. And I, I think that yeah. the container of golf is so great that you have to spend long amounts of time really focus. And I love, I love sports too, for that, because it, it, it forces presence, you know, like I've, yeah. I've been my newest sport that I've been playing a lot lately. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Rob, or maybe you've seen people playing it on the beach in St. Augustine is spike ball. It's that like yeah. that, that thing. And like, you know, you have to be present with the people that you're there. Cause it's like, otherwise you're, you know, you're going to screw up your game. If you're, if you're right. not just like being, you know, not getting in your head and all that kind of stuff. So love that. Thank you so much for sharing, and and it's clear that you have uh, such solid foundations in in um, you know relationships and the the things that you prioritize. Just in your your aura, I don't know if you're listening to this right now. You can you can sense that as well. Just the way that Rob talks, I just I love that so much. So so thank you, uh, and would love to start talking a little bit more about the the publish promote profit content because I know there are plenty of people listening right now that that have something that they need to give to the world that they feel like yeah. they haven't been able to do that in a way that really sets them up as an authority and opens the doors to incredible things. So um, I love the title of your book because Publish, Promote, Profit pretty much encompasses the three sections of the book and what you talk about. Uh, So we can kind of, I don't know, obviously as a container of a podcast, we don't have all the time in the world, but hopefully we can touch on some of the components of each of them. But one of the things that you bust inside of your book that I think is really valuable to talk about is that most people think about publishing a book, it means that you're sitting and you're writing a thousand words a day, every single day. Personally, I'm one of the weirdos that likes writing. So I, I enjoy yeah. doing that, but there are a ton of people listening and they're like, I would rather take a carrot peeler to my shins than sit and write a thousand, <laughs> thousand words a day. And so you you talk about a, a new way that you have kind of pioneered and created. So um would love for you to maybe kind of bust that myth of what the old way of doing it was and and kind of how you've introduced a new hybrid book publishing process for people to kind of get their ideas out in a less painful way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think because I was different than you, and I, honestly, most people that um, that I ever speak to are different from you in that they're not like consistent daily content creators, daily writers. Um, you know, I, I needed to find a different way. Right, if I was going to follow the advice of those mentors and write a book, I knew I needed to find a different way to do it. So, I just assumed that there were kind of two ways. One, you either grind it out or two, you hire a professional. And so that's what I did and, and wrote a really big check, especially at that time when money was, was tight. And um, I just found that, you know, after months and months and months of working with this very smart and, and you know, a person that was a good writer, um, I just got garbage. And I got garbage not because. Uh, her you know writing structure was poor or her grammar was bad no it was it was written better than than I could write it, but it just wasn't in my voice and and I wanted my personality, my voice I wanted it to be conversational and so we came up with a process both out of you know my own need as well as having dozens of conversations with others on this same topic. We came up with a process that captures not just content, but context. And so, you know, the, I'm happy to go through kind of the steps of it. Um, You know, the, the short version is, you know, your story, whether it's a case study about a client, uh, a story from history or sports, a story from your own life um, is where people get like context and it's where they get connected with you. Um, What, traditional ghostwriting is good at is extracting content from people you know learning you know uh, t- teaching points things like that and so we just created um, a, a process that we feel like uh, and that our clients tell us um, captures and and you know integrates both of those things and um, you know the the easiest way to explain it is the the process is really all in the setup of it. And the setup is, you know, we want every chapter uh, of a client's book or or my book um, set up like a great TED talk is. And if you've ever watched a TEDx talk or a TED talk, you know the best ones all have kind of similar themes. Oftentimes, they start with a story, and then the story sometimes it's culminated, but oftentimes it's not. And so there's like this open loop. Maybe they'll they'll leave the story hanging on a cliff, right? Of you know, when they were depressed or suicidal or going through a difficult time. And, and then they begin teaching, um, you know, this is the way the brain works, or this is what, you know, this is how I began fixing it. So they teach their points, one, two, three. Then they come back around, they culminate the story, you know, big kind of successful conclusion, if you will. And I just felt like, okay, well, you know, that's 17 minutes long, 18 minutes long. That's really a great chapter length. And, you know, there's more advanced things. You can have multiple stories. You can culminate one. You can leave open hooks in, in another. But I just started reading, especially I love Malcolm Gladwell, and I saw this is like exactly how Malcolm Gladwell writes. You know, he begins telling the story of the Beatles and the 10,000 hour rule, and he doesn't culminate the story. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, oh, this is this is cool. And so we started helping our clients to put together um you know, almost like a 20-minute mini-ish TED Talk uh, with a great story that they're going to tell or case study or whatever, open loops, content points, and then they could speak it. They could speak it for 20 minutes uh, or however long. If they get stuck, the the ghostwriter can ask them questions, get them unstuck. And now we have, you know, like great content and context. We have the story. Now, all that needs to be rewritten because, you know, like you asked me one question and I haven't stopped talking. So it's like one, you know, you speak in these long run-on sentences often. So all that needs to be rewritten and edited for short, punchy sentences and introductions and conclusions. But but the most important part you have, which is the context. So now we create all, all of our, um, client's books using this hybrid methodology, where we're able to capture like the important elements of their voice, as well as the important elements of what they're teaching.
0: Yeah, I, I love that so much. And there's a few things I want to just kind of highlight a little bit here too. So, like, first of all, I would r- highly recommend you go check out publish promote, dot, dot com or is it.org. I know you mm-hmm. have both.com. Okay. So go to com. If you want to find out, you know, get Rob's book, you can you can get more detail on this. But I wanted to share this whether you choose to work with Rob or not, or or if you're doing other stuff, like yeah. this process is so powerful for if you don't consider yourself a writer, I feel like it takes the edge off. Like if you're just like, hey, I'm gonna do a keynote, most of the people that want to write a book, like they're good at creating content or giving presentations and just having that, that frame of like, Hey, let's just come up with a presentation, which many people have done before. It makes it a lot easier for them to, to, to visualize it. And then, you know, obviously it helps to kind of have a, uh, you know, like David, when he, when he, when he, or when David was created, the, you know it was a huge block of marble, right? I mean, they just chipped away right. at it. If you have a transcript from a presentation that you gave, it's like your block of marble that you can then chisel away from instead of just staring at a, a really creepy blank cursor that many people hate yeah. looking at. And uh, one other thing I'm just going to say too is, is Rob specifically said something about open hooks and open loops. And I think that I just wanted to fill that gap in case some people aren't familiar with like copywriting that kind of stuff is just kind of like opening a, a story and not really concluding it so that people have to maybe, you know they have to continue to read on, and they have to be stuck until the end in order to continue with it. So, love that. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to the, that hybrid bush, book publishing process? Or we kind of covered covered most of that there, Rob.
1: Yeah, I mean, what what I'd add, I mean, you said it. Um, you know, this is a process that anybody can use, and so the way I look at it is, you're either someone that is a writer like yourself, Brandon, uh, or someone that loves to maybe communicate in another way, like speaking, right? And so. If you simply, you know, build out uh, what would be your story, the main story points, leave an open loop, and then what would you teach from that? Like, like you're giving a short presentation to 20 people, or 50, or or a thousand. If you did that and spoke it, and you did that on a regular basis, I mean, you can have a book created in just a couple of weeks. Now, it still needs to be edited and that kind of thing, but but this is a way to kind of supercharge your your content creation. The, the one mistake I see some people make is, especially in our kind of world, is, you know, they want to take a webinar that they've done and they want to make their book from a webinar or whatever. And I'm like, here's the problem with a webinar. Most of what you do with a webinar is teaching. Only a little bit of, is the storytelling. And so the storytelling is the magic part of this, right? Because that's where your voice comes from and your and your passion and your conviction and so it's it's often hard to do it just with like existing content, unless you set out to create the content this way in the beginning. Um, so it's, it's usually lacking something if it's existing content. So just create it this way from the start, and you can have a book done pretty fast.
0: Love that. So just to recap everything we just talked about. So creating a TED Ted story uh, and and the three parts that Rob just shared, story, content, close. Just create those three things, plop that in the presentation and you can use that as the basis for creating the content from your book, from the transcription, which is incredible. So we're still on this kind of like, um, publish component of the publish, promote, profit phase. And there's one other thing I wanted to talk about in this section, Rob, that you discuss in your book. It's it's towards the end of chapter two, and it's the the chapter you talk about our and our audience's desires are deeply rooted. And um, hmm. you, you tell this really powerful story that I would love, not only because it's a powerful story, but also because I think it's very enlightening to the audience to know where these core desires are coming from, both in our audiences and in ourselves. So would you mind telling us that story of the Silicon Valley tech investor and, and yeah. what he what he taught you?
1: Yeah, that was shocking. Um, I was at a uh, a coaching event, and um, we were at a coaching event with uh, you know this this guy who's kind of following his passion after he sold his his tech business, and his passion was you know helping entrepreneurs to uh, tell their story, but really find their their purpose, if you will, you know find their their thing in life, and um, the whole idea. Uh, for this little session that we were doing is, you know, discovering your audience avatar. You know who your ideal client is, and so he asked for volunteers, and you know I was like, you know, okay, let's let's do it. Let's you know raise my hand, and he, you know, I was sitting up towards the front, so he of course chose me, and uh, he said, you know, we're gonna, he goes to have your permission to ask you some questions, and I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, we're talking about my audience avatar. I mean, what kind of questions is he gonna ask? It, honestly was what I thought. And, um, you know, the first question he asked, like right out of the gate is, you know, tell me a little bit about your, your most traumatic childhood experience. And I was like, holy crap, man. I'm like, what does this have to do with, I didn't say that, but I was thinking, what does this have to do with anything? And, um, you know, obviously it set me back because I did not expect to get a question like that. And here now I have, now I feel all these people around me, you know what I mean? Uh, And um, I was like, you know, I really had a great, I I had a great childhood and I, I really, um, you know, experienced a lot of love and, and, and relationship. I said, but, you know, I, I guess if there's something traumatic, you might consider this. And I'm like, you know, I, I never really knew my mom, you know, I never met my mom until I was like 30 years old. And of course he latched onto that. That's pretty big deal, right? Pretty heavy experience, um, especially for you know, it, it's unusual, especially maybe for someone my age, because, you know, you'd always think that the, you know, with a divorce, the kid would go with with mom. And so he he kind of dug deep into that. Um, and it was very eye-opening experience, both for me and, and also for everybody in the room, because they got it a lot faster than I did. And uh, he said, so, you know, there was probably this you know as you got older there was probably this real desire with you within you to like stand out and be noticed and you know you were always looking maybe for affirmation from others and you know you wanted uh you know this um uh this exposure um you know so people would know who you are and i was like yeah i mean i mean that's true that is really kind of Who I am. And and he says, Well, you know, tell me about what you do. And I'm like, Well, I, you know, what I really do is I make people famous. You know, what what I really do is I help them to be known and exposed and become the authority and get attention. And he's like, dude, you're in the right business. (laughs) He's like, you're doing the exact thing you should, you're supposed to be doing. I'm like, holy crap, that was really intense. Um at the at the moment it was really intense and um very, very eye-opening how he connected, you know, this traumatic not experience, but kind of thing in my life with um you know, who I'm supposed to serve anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of heavy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heavy. heavy. And thank you so much for sharing that. I know that's probably not something that's, yeah. that's easy. No, to no, it's totally cool. Kind of stuff. Totally so, cool. So, so thank you. But the part of the reason why I wanted to share that and anybody listening that has listened to multiple episodes, this theme comes up so much and it's so important. And I, I always want to ask it because I truly believe that alignment equals velocity. And the more you are in alignment with who you naturally are, it, the, the the faster you're going to be able to grow. And so that, that this is another perfect example of that through line of that, that you were able to manifest this direction of your business um, and and do it in a healthy way, because there are obviously unhealthy ways to deal with it and, and unhealthy or healthy and unhealthy ways to deal with it. And I just realized this, you know, it's funny, people are gonna people that have listened to the episodes in chronological order are gonna kind of see how I'm recording things. But I got married on June sixth. We're recording this on June 22nd Um, and I, I realized some of those unconscious things that that part of me creating seven figure millennials was what my parents did before I was even born, is that they went from uh, multifamily income to single income to prioritize spending time with my my brother and I. And then here I am creating seven figure millennials all about prioritizing your happiness, health and relationships. I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this can't came- something, you know? And so, so it's, it's really cool to see that story. And I think that, you know, in, in the, in the context of the book, since that's what we're talking about is understanding the message that you want to share. Does it come from a place of really strong, solid foundation? Um, And because I think that's really important to consider is like, if, you know, as you share in the book, like what this book could become, it could be your platform for the next 20 years. Right. And so like understanding and making sure that it's set on a really solid foundation is one of the most important things that you can do.
1: Yeah. 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 Well said. And congratulations on getting married.
0: What a (laughs) a great decision. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Okay. So, so now we've talked about the, the publish component. We know how to write a book. Now let's, let's move a little bit into the promote and like the the profit is actually what I want to, what I want to stick on, because I think that, you know, once you publish the book, it's it's how you use the book, and that like most people think that, that having the book is the thing, but it's it, leveraging the book is the most important. So, but I don't want to gloss over this promote thing. Uh, so, two main topics I kind of want to cover really quickly. Um, and and sometimes it's this this as disappointing as it as it is, getting the the book cover down and the title of your book is sometimes more important than the content because if they don't open the thing to yeah. begin with, uh, it doesn't matter how good of how many good TED stories you told uh, if if you didn't name it correctly. So, as somebody that is. You know, helped so many people become more visible, and you've coached thousands of people through this process that you have. I would love for you to maybe share some of your key takeaways from what the secret sauce is for creating a a title that works and also a cover that works that makes people to actually read
1: it. Yeah. Well, hey, great place to begin because a lot of people would like to begin at, you know, uh, how do I get SEO optimized or how do I advertise the book or whatever. But the beginning is design. The hook of the of the title, the hook of the subtitle that that is the beginning of it. So um, we have a couple of rules that we try to follow with our clients when it comes to their their hook, their title, their subtitle, and and I've seen this work over and over and over again in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Amazon bestsellers, and that is um, for the the main title. What we would consider the hook, we love it if we can find one, two, or three words that you know, are, um, a, a couple of different things. They, they should be curiosity provoking if at all possible. They should tell a little bit of the story. Um, and, and obviously if it's just one, two or three words, they can't tell the whole story, but they should tell a little bit of the story and, you know, at the same time be like memorable. So good examples, obviously my book published pro no profit, right? It it's, it's, in some ways, it's not super sexy, but it's memorable. You know, it has alliteration. So it's like it's got the peas. I'm going to, I'm going to want to go a little bit deeper here. Do you have a story about how you came up with that? Because
0: I think sometimes too, the thing that people, when they think of curiosity provoking and memorable, they try to get too creative. And I've found personally, and maybe you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong or based on your experience, but I found that sometimes having a clear message is better than a creative one because that people know what publish promote profit is. (laughs) It's very clear. So do you you have any uh, suggestion or uh, is there a context or story about how you came up with the title for your book?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd been doing a lot of thinking about it. Um, I trademarked Publish Pro Profit years and years ago because I felt like I wanted, um, before I wanted the book, I knew I was going to write the book. But before I wanted the book, I wanted an easy way to, a clear way to communicate, like, these are all the things you need to do for your book to be successful. Um, some people will latch on to the promotion piece and that's important, but it's not more important than the content of your book and getting that done at the same time. It's not more important than actually earning an income and making an impact with your book. So I felt like, and you said it really well in the beginning, I felt like those three elements like encompass the entire journey of the book. And so, you know, is it, is it better to be creative or clear it's better to be both if you can, but, you know, with some topics you can't, um, you know, with some topics it just is what it is. And, uh, in that case, it's better from my perspective to be clear, uh, find some creativity. Like I use alliteration. So I, you know, publish pro profit, the Ps help. If you can find a way to create a rhythm or a rhyme, that's helpful, um but you know Malcolm Gladwell chooses creativity. So you know what are his books? Um you know Outliers. Outliers is a great creative word, right? And and it's a word that it's one word and and it it creates like some curiosity and some interest. Uh, you know another one of his books, Blink. Blink is a great word. You know what I mean? It's like like all thing all these things come to your mind when you hear blink, right? Like you think of speed. You think of, you know, obviously what you do with your eyes, but, but there are so many other things. And so he, he's found a creative ways to communicate like the essence of the book, at least to the point where you want to take the next step. And Mm -hmm. so if you, if you can be creative, then find a way to be creative, but there's nothing wrong with being clear um, as well. So, so that's when it that's that's what's important when it comes to I believe that initial hook, and that's what you got to do um, is initially you've got to get people to stop, right? You know, stop the scroll and make a decision right at that moment. Is this something I'm interested in clicking on, taking the next step with, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. got it so love that one to three word one two or three words curiosity provoking yep. tell a bit of the story it's memorable um yep. you know can c- kind of model i'm sure if you go to your site you can probably see all the people that you've helped yeah. you know client testimonials so if you guys want some examples of how they've been able to do that go check that out as far as the design goes you know we talk about Mike, malcolm gladwell immediately i think of tipping point i can see the match in my head yeah. you know like i saw so I, yeah. I have that i have that associated and so there's there's obviously an art and a science to having a title that works really well Well, with the cover of your book as well. Uh, So, any insights on design that would be valuable for people that want to create a solid foundation to promote their book the right way?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, quite a bit. Um, You know, and Malcolm Gladwell and The Tipping Point is a great example. All of his books actually look the same they have a white background, they have dark blue or dark black lettering, they're exceptionally clean and he does use some imagery but not a lot and so like the tipping point you have just one match um, you know he 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 doesn't overwhelm you with images that you may get or may not get and i think that's a mistake that a lot of authors make is oftentimes they'll put imagery on there that maybe they're maybe it looks cool but their clientele may not understand the connection and if they don't understand the 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 immediate connection then then don't do it. You're, you're better off not having the image there, and just you know having uh, an all white cover with dark letters, or an all black cover with with white letters, etc. Just just look up, you know, the New York Times bestsellers or Wall Street Journal bestsellers, and you'll see a pattern that kind of follows of, of the best covers. So we always, you know, besides the the things I shared, um, you know, when it comes to the the imagery, be careful of that. Um, follow a pattern of, of uh, what you see other great, you know, clean is always better, um, you know, bright colors, uh, different colors evoke different kinds of emotion as well. So you may even consider looking that up if you're trying to evoke a certain kind of emotion with your book. Um, I would also say, you know, ask, um, you know, if you have a social uh, presence or, or following, if you have an email list. Um, ask your potential clients or your current clients. Be careful asking anybody, like friends, family, sphere of influence, even other authors. Um, Just because they've written a good book doesn't mean that they know what your audience thinks of that particular title. You're better off asking your potential clients than you are asking your friends, your family, even people that are "quote unquote" experts. I mean, people will ask me in my audience all the time, "What do you think of this title?" And I always say, "Well, what does your audience think of the title?" I mean, I like it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not your ideal buyer. It's more important that they like it than it is that I, you know, um, think it's cool.
0: This is this is an aside. Just I'm just going to add it because my brain went here. Do you have you heard of Pick Flu before? I have, hear? okay, because yep. uh, they've been on they've been on the show before, and I've seen their 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 product before as far as like just being able to segment and find yep. uh, someone to do a split test against the cover. So if you want an intro to them or if you know them that they're they're great, they're great guys, and uh, that's a cool way for for those listening that haven't listened to that episode, it's just a cool way to kind of you could come up with two different book titles or two different book covers and then have uh, your segmented audience give unbiased feedback on what they think is the best. Cause um, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's really important because if you don't get this right, that's why I said in the beginning, if you don't get this right, if you don't test it uh, and think about it, then you can, you can kind of, the rest of the launch is going to be harder. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Love that. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to skip kind of like the rest of the promote phase. So I'll I'll use that as an open, open loop. So you guys can go check out Publish Promote Profit. And you can check out there's he um Rob talks about there being five elements of the launch. We just covered the book cover and design elements. Then he talks about reviews, press releases, free and paid advertising, social media strategies. So if you want to know how to write the book description, how to get it ranked, how to get that out there, that's going to be covered there. The the part that I wanted to jump into that I think is the most exciting part honestly is like once you have a best selling book, what that really means to you and what you can do for that. Um, So um do you want to share, Rob, a little bit of the, the the three things that you kind of focus on in the profit phase, or maybe we can just cover a few of them? Either speaking engagements, free publicity, lead generation—some uh, of the things that people can actually do once they have a best-selling book in their hands.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, uh, if you will, everything from our perspective falls into those three categories: lead generation, speaking, or PR and media. Um, and obviously, there's some overlap in those things. Um, you know, when I uh, wrote my my book and you know was coming off this massive uh, failure, and I wrote my first book for my financial services company, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of uh, knowledge on you know running paid advertising and traffic, and so you know a lot of people are in that position for one reason or another. So for me, I used my book to initially get on media. And I figured, you know, I wanted my book out there. I figured, you know, my ideal client was potentially listening. At that time, it was radio. Podcasts weren't even, um, you know, around or at least not to the extent that they are now. And so I just sent my book out to all the local radio stations. Uh, We were going through a financial crisis. Here was a financial book that was a bestseller. Uh, You know, maybe they'd like to have me on. So I I was cold calling and I was sending my book out and I got an opportunity to do like a five-minute radio interview, and um, you know there's a couple of elements, right, to getting a customer from your book. Uh, I always talk to my clients about, you know, you can be proactive or you can be reactive. Reactive is waiting around for the phone to ring because someone's reading your book that you don't even know they're reading it. That's dumb. You don't want to do that. That that's going to happen anyway. What you want is you want to be proactive, and so the elements of being proactive are you got to get. You know your content, your book in front of people. You've got to get it to them, and then you've got to give them a way to respond back to you. You can call that a funnel. You can call that a number of different things. And so for me, I got the book. I got the great content. Now I needed to get it in front of people and into their hands. And so I did that with free radio, um, five-minute interview. Uh, It went great. It was live. Then they replayed it again later that evening, At the end of my radio interview, I said, and I didn't 100% know uh, what I was getting myself into, but you know, I mean, I again, I was a student of Dan Kennedy and others, and so I said, you know, look, um, if you're listening to this interview, because they always ask at the end, you know, where where do you want people to go? How can they learn more about your book? And I said, look, if if you're going through this right now. Uh, and you really need this kind of help, then I want to give you the book for free. In fact, I'll even ship it to you for free. It was local radio. And um, just either call this number, which was my office number, or call the radio station. And uh, at that time, it wasn't even go to a link on my website. I didn't even have that. And uh, so that very first day, like I was back in my office at 6 o'clock. They must have just replayed the, um, the interview and the phone rang and, and I answered it. I tell this story in the book as well. And, and, uh, there was a little bit of trepidation. I I tell the story in the book of like, you know, I try to make it funny. Like, you know, this person called and said, is this Rob Cosberg? And I was like, oh crap, you know, I mean, do I owe you money or, (laughs) you know, there was a little trepidation. Like, you know, I owed a lot of people money. And, um, and I said, yes, this is Rob Cosberg. And she goes, wow, I just heard you on the radio. And you're the author of, you know, this new finance book that's a bestseller. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And uh, she said, you know, I'd I'd like a copy of the book, but, you know, can I talk to you about my situation? We we talked for the next 20 minutes. She became a client. Uh, It ended up, you know, being a a $6,000 engagement. And that was the very first day. And that, you know, spawned um, me using my book in conjunction with radio uh, paid radio ads. I ended up having my own radio show for uh, a number of years, and you you know we went from zero to a million bucks in about thirteen months, and then multi millions thereafter. And we kind of owned the radio waves, and we were giving out hundreds of copies of my book. Now that's a little old school, and you know, and also specific to certain niches. But we've just now taken that similar model and with our clients have done everything from webinars and free plus shipping book funnels and self liquidating offer funnels and, you know, and on and on and on and on. Yeah. I love too that like that was, I mean, it's always fun to
0: see original marketing campaigns and I, I guess original may be the wrong word, but like, it's interesting to look at how things have always been and there's going to be, always be new models. There's always going to be a new way of selling things, but the yeah. the, the underlying principle of giving a you know, a free copy of your book that positions you appropriately, that has call to actions. And that's, that's something else that we didn't really mention, but, you know, it's important that you're also leveraging the content of your book to drive people to different components of the the ways that you can add value to them. Um, That's just, 101, that's like that's that's how it's done. And so that's really cool. And that's going to continue to grow and evolve. And I love that that story of like getting you on the phone. You can just picture someone like, Oh my God, I just heard you heard you on the radio and you have that that beautiful radio voice.
1: (laughs) And now they're talking to me. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, I was never a celebrity and I can go to dinner anywhere I want, no one pays attention to who I am. (laughs) But you know, in that little space and in that little place, uh, I became, you know, a celebrity. Uh, from a financial perspective, and so people were like thrilled to talk to me, and yeah. I mean that's but that's what a book and media does, you know, it it kind of puts you on that on that pedestal, and you know it builds the trust necessary for. For you know, if people need your services, for them to take the next step with you.
0: Absolutely. So we've talked about publicity, getting on the radio. Another thing that I think is really valuable is uh, you talk in the book about getting speaking engagements. Um, so yeah. you have you have a simple system for getting on speaking engagements it's called Tap T A P. Um, and yeah. I think this is this is brilliant as well. If we have time to maybe do a little high level overview of how we can leverage our book to get speaking engagements. So um, yeah, I don't know if you want to dive in with with starting with target. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, it works like gangbusters. Um, I I just did a challenge last week and uh, I always talk about, I leave a whole 90 minute segment to talk about using the book to get speaking engagements. And I have one of my clients on who now is, uh, she had never spoken for a fee before in her life. And she basically started using this system. And in a period of 18 months, she booked herself uh, for 97 speaking engagements. She's single. She loves to travel. That to me would be like scratching my eyeballs out. Cause I, (laughs) I want to, you know, I got two dogs. I, I, my wife, I play, you know, like my life is right here. I don't want to travel, uh, unless I'm going away with my buddies or something. And my wife, she couldn't have gotten um, three
0: more. She should have gotten three or four more. I know. Why do you stop at 97?
1: (laughs) Well, she did that in 18 months. I mean, I'm like, she was like traveling (laughs) twice a week or something. Um but you know the average fee was between $5,000 and $12,000 and this was somebody that had never spoken for a fee um before and uh and she used this system so it works so she's made seven figures in speaking fees plus selling her services and various other things but the the system is is not complicated i mean the the first part is the T which is target um you have to know who your target is for your um your particular uh, speaking opportunity. So we look at uh, conferences, associations and private organizations. And so you know if if your topic is you're a corporate culture coach and so you want to you want to figure out, okay, where are all the uh, regional, local, state, and even national conferences of which there are probably hundreds, if not thousands. Uh, you add associations to it or private organizations, and you're going to have a list that's too big. So you pick your top 100. Uh, Russell Brunson, who's a buddy of mine, might call it your dream 100, right? And you, uh, you get you know, the, the name of the organizer. You get their address. You get their email address. You get their telephone number. And you start sending out five copies of your, of your book uh, a week. You send out those five copies out. You you know who you're sending it to. You know they have an upcoming coming conference, so you know you take the time to put a little sticky note with you know I saw you or an introduction letter, and I saw that you have a a conference coming up on this subject matter. I talk about that on page one eleven, so you don't have to read the whole book, but take a look at you know this specific page, and you know you'll you'll see what we're all about, and that of course proves your you know, your expertise on the subject matter. Uh, If you do that and then follow it up with, uh, you know, I like for an assistant to make a phone call, but you're only talking about, even if you have a virtual assistant, you know, a couple of hours a week that you'd have to pay them because they're only going to be making five or so phone calls a week. And for them to schedule a a call with you, and I've kind of, you know, I've gone from target to assets to, you know, the actual process, but but the idea is, you know, you, you have the right target. You're, you're putting yourself in front of them. They had never heard of you before, but now they've heard of you. Now they know that you're an expert. You're an author on the subject matter. So now it's a matter of building trust. And that starts with a, a casual telephone call. And you will start booking yourself, maybe not the first week or two, but within week three, week four, week five of consistently doing this, making it a system you're you're going to be booked as much as you want to be booked for speaking engagements.
0: Yeah, love that, and it taps into some classic uh, direct mail, co- you know, di- yeah. direct mail stuff. Is 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 having the 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 post it note on the top. That's really important. Don't that don't don't gloss over what Ross just no. Rob just said there. Sorry, uh, like make sure you have that. Post-it note on there that highlights the specific point because they're probably not going to read your whole book, but like th- that's really important not only to get their attention but also to really direct them in the the, the right spot that that is relevant to their organization, their conference, whatever it is they're they're putting on. So love that. And then um, that, that, I'm just going to back up a little bit because we went a little fast. For the assets, you yeah. talk about that. That's from my understanding. You can correct me, but like my understanding is leveraging the existing relationships that you have because it's obviously a lot yes. easier than cold. So it's kind of taking accounts for the relational capital that you already have and leveraging that to get into other places is that is that right
1: yeah no that's 100% i kind of skipped over that because you know if if you got your dream 100 opportunities then you know you can probably get as many of those as you want with this process but if you you know taking stock of your assets is you probably have Relationships, people you know that are other speakers, you know people that you know are, are connected in some way. So if you can find a way to you know build some referral type trust where people are connecting you because of of the people assets, your network assets that you have, then you're going to skip over you know. This entire trust building part of the process. So we always want our clients to take stock of their assets, to think through: okay, who do I know that might be able to connect me? And then allowing the book to be the the connector piece. You know, um, sending the book on on either someone else on your behalf or you on their behalf, um, sending the book. Yeah. So and then the P is the process part. Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. So so powerful. And again, go check out Publish from a Profit if you want a detailed explanation of all this than just the overview that we're doing here. And I know Rob, we're coming up on on time here. Do you have time for two more kind of quick ones? Then we yeah, can kind of conclude. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. So uh, this 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 is another one that I think is really fun because um, you know whenever you see someone on TV, even though TV viewership is down dramatically from when it was in the past, like when you see someone on an interview on that stage, it's like oh they're they're even more of an authority, and that is another door that you can open once you have a book is getting on those mass media outlets on tv so as somebody that has helped place people and i know you you, some of this is what you do is you help people leverage their book to get inside of media outlets i thought maybe we could zoom in on the pitch component of that like how and maybe maybe it borrows on some of what we just talked about but it's uh different pitch than if you were trying to get on a podcast that's more of a specific thing. So any things that you would suggest for people that want to take that next step and leverage their book to get onto TV for for getting positioning themselves correctly so that you actually get those interviews.
1: Yeah. Yeah, great question. Maybe maybe just a half a step back. Sure. Um the half a step back is, you know, you have a couple of different kinds of media. You have media like like this podcast where um, you know, you have a very specific reach of people, and you know, podcasts are about all I do these days because you know I'm I'm trying to reach my ideal audience. So I was just on with um with a JLD from Entrepreneur on Fire. We did our third interview over I don't know last four or five years. That's like my ideal clients are listening to that, mm-hmm. right? I would rather do that or this podcast than appear on TV. For clients, but with that said, the other kind of media is media that um, that people just understand. If you're on it, like you're for real, like it 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 creates a sense of authority, and nothing does that better than television, uh, especially depending on who you're selling to. And so I've been on TV all over the country. I've been in big markets like uh, like LA. I don't think a single person has become my client because they saw me on television. However, I have repurposed those TV appearances on social media, in my book funnels, et cetera. And I have had a number of people become clients just because they saw my TV appearance on Facebook. So <laughs> Not on TV. <laughs> so, right, not on TV. Yeah, they just saw my KTLA appearance on Facebook because I posted it, I ran traffic to it, et cetera. So, you know, if you, if you go like, oh, none of my clients are on TV, I don't want to be on TV. Uh, don't, don't say that too fast because you probably do because of the authority that it will give you. It's, it's another pedestal of authority that you may not care about, but your clients may or a percentage of your clients may. So anyway, that, that may be more than I should have said on that subject matter, but the, the, you know, you, you need to want to be on it, uh, for the pitch to matter. Right. So, um, so when it comes to the pitch, um, you know, it's similar to a book. You need a great hook, and and you need a for television specifically. You need a broader pitch. So you know, my book, Publish for Profit, is really written to business owners. You know, people that are entrepreneurs that they want to write a legacy book doesn't talk a lot about how to write poetry or a fiction book or you know or or science fiction, right? But you know, it's about writing a book, so you know, the the appearance on KTLA, for example, we had to find a great hook and we had to let them know that your audience is going to be interested in this, right? If, if they thought this is just for business owners, they're going to think, ah, eh, good morning LA is not, we don't need to have him on because, you know, that's not the majority of our audience. So what you need to do with the, the pitch is you need to broaden your appeal, Right. We want your your title, your subtitle, we want your your book, your topic to be narrow. But when it comes to TV and media, it needs to be broadened. So you have to find a way to appeal to as many of the producer's audience as possible. So what we did is we came up, you know, with a, a timely hook. There's a couple different kinds of hooks. And a timely hook is a hook where there's something going on in the world right now that makes your subject matter important. So for us, it was. Uh, January 2nd, right? And, you know, everybody's doing their New Year's resolutions and, you know, their goals and desires. And so, you know, we actually found some, um, you know, interesting uh, studies done and found that, you know, writing a book is generally one of the like top five um, uh, things that people want to do, you know, and that they set as their yearly goal. And so, so we pitched it to KTLA and others and said, look, this is, this is like one of the top things that people want to know about during New Year's and and around uh, this time, and so we created this you know broad hook that their audience would be interested in it. So timely hooks, celebrity hooks, you know something that's going on uh, in the world from a social perspective. If you can find your find a way for your topic to tie in, then that makes it interesting to the producers.
0: Yeah, I love that's really important because it's such it's so contradictory to most media (laughs) most media is about niching down choosing something very specific uh but you know i think that's a really important insight to have is because if you come from that training that background and you try pitching something super narrow now rob has just saved you from 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 not appearing on those shows because you went too narrow so that's very important um one other thing and then we'll, we'll start concluding here i wanted to talk about how so we, we, we talk a lot about the traditional ways of leveraging a book, right? You can get media, you can get on a TV that we just discussed, right? Um, you can do speaking engagements, but the the creativity of how you can leverage your book is endless. Like there is not, it's not just this, this finite amount. You share some case studies of your clients that have done some really creative things with their book. Um, and so I would love for, maybe I think you mentioned tacky more or Matt Therial. I thought Matt Therial yeah. would be a really cool one to share and just share how he was able to, to, Leverage his book in a very non-traditional way to generate more attention for for his clients
1: and yeah. more clients. Yeah, I love Maddie. He's uh, he's. We were just texting a little while ago. He's w- one of my dear friends. Um, he did he did something really cool. He did a couple of things that are really cool. Uh, one is he has a big podcast, and so he has a, a social following. And so um, you know, he knew that his clients needed something for their credibility. And so um, one of the things that he did, I, I think I talked about this in published pro Profit. I know I've taught on it a lot, but I, I just love the creativity of this because it's different. And he made money right out of the gate doing it. But what he did is he basically lend his name and his credibility to his audience and brought them all in for each of them to do a, a, a single chapter of a book. And the chapter would be about uh, he's in the real estate Space so as a you know real estate investor, but all of his real estate investor clients needed like credibility for themselves. So if they had a book, a bestseller that they were a part of, they could give that to a homeowner, build some trust, that kind of thing, or investors that uh, that you know they wanted to maybe raise capital, etc. So he created this this opportunity for everybody to write a book. They paid him a large sum of money. And then he basically turned it over to me and said, okay, take all their, you know, create their content, take all their content, then let's, let's launch this book. So anybody with a social following, uh, where people are interested in what they do as an expert, uh, that's a great way to like, you know, make six figures and have another book that you're kind of the, the lead on. So that's one of the things that, that, maddie did that i thought was just really really creative
0: yeah super out of the box and and i love yeah. love if you think so many people are forced inside of these small boxes of how you're supposed to write and do things yeah. but like that that was just such a brilliant win-win-win for everyone it created value for his clients i mean you got a client out of it rob yeah. and like he was able to write a book out of it it's just incredible and one of the things that i'm doing I plan on writing a book, leveraging the transcripts from all these, you know, interviews that I'm doing right now. So I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book right now, and uh, and so that's that's the goal of doing that eventually. And so it doesn't have to be as difficult as you may think it is. And 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 obviously we talked in the very beginning; it can be as simple as just you starting to record some of the presentations or or some of the webinars that you're doing and leveraging that in the best way possible. So man, this has been such a phenomenal conversation. I mean, we talked about the published from a profit. We dived in the beginning about all the relationship and stuff. So it's every. Thing I could have yeah. hoped that it turned out for. So the last, the last question that I like to ask Rob is as a, as somebody that I would, I, it seems like a very fulfilled, very happy guy that has all these people, uh, what are surrounding you? What does happiness mean to you today?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I'm going to answer it like this. Um, happiness to me is like Like wealth in a well-rounded life. Um, It's doing what I like with the people that I like, and making an impact at the same time. You know, it's um, it's you know I always wanted from the time I was a kid and didn't have a lot of money. I always wanted to be a rich person, a wealthy person, but I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. And now that I've, I've gotten older, it, you know, it means the things that are most important to me, my relationship with my wife, my kids, my best friends, and, you know, having the health and the resources to be able to enjoy that while still making impact on people that are both less fortunate and people that, you know, want to raise their profile status authority. So that's long-winded. I, I hope that answers it. No, it's beautiful, and you
0: definitely set a a new goal for me. I think that'll be a cool thing for me to have as a goal: is to eventually live in a a community <laughs> of like friends that that just man, that's just so cool. So as soon as Kevin Thompson told me about that, I'm like, man, I got to find out more about that. So thanks for thanks for that that North Star because I think that's just so beautiful uh, that you could just. Spend I, your time I can't
1: speak highly enough about it. It it is it is not overrated. I mean, <laughs> it is awesome. Yeah, love
0: that. Awesome. So the last question, we've already talked about people can find published promote profit on Amazon. You can find it at PublishPromoteProfit.com. Uh any any other places, where can people find out all the incredible stuff you have going on, Rob?
1: Yeah, you know, to get a, a free copy of the book, it is a free plus shipping funnel. So we charge for shipping if they want to get that, but it's still a lot cheaper than buying it on Amazon. That's PublishPromoteProfit.com. And if they just want some free resources, uh you know, we have uh, our, my podcast is the Publish Profit Podcast. They can go to my website, uh, which is bestsellerpublishing.org.org. And there's tons of free resources on there if someone wants to learn more.
0: So so good. And I recently, as you can tell from this interview, I read I read the book and you know if, if yeah, fantastic thank very you. yeah, of course, very, very well done. So I mean it takes you pretty much step by step. If you want somebody to hold your hand, um, you know, it, it takes away a lot of the mystery, the black box that is of publishing a book. So if, if that's something that you know you've wanted to do, go check it out. Uh very, very uh, helpful, very valuable. And so the last thing I'll say is just to you listening with right now, it's just that you've been hanging out with me and Rob today. If if this is your very first episode, I just want to say, wow, what what a, what a great episode to choose to listen on today. Uh, so, so grateful to have you hanging out with us today. And as you can tell, we like to go deep all the time. And if you're returning, I want to say thank you so much. You're absolutely what makes this possible. I truly, truly appreciate you. And whether you're new or returning, I have a favor. And that favor is, is if you've listened to this and you've learned about how you can take and leverage a book to grow your business and or, or you've removed that, that, like I said, that black box of actually now you know how to do it. And or if you yourself or if you have a friend that could find value in this, please share Rob's message with them. Share this episode. It's absolutely going to help them. And you're going to look super cool along the way because you're going to be the cool person that sent the episode over to them. So who's one friend that would be interested in in publishing a book that you think would, would benefit from hearing Rob's message? Please share that. But whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in. And Rob, thanks so much for hanging out today.
1: This has been a blast. Same, buddy.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now,